Welcome to Tales of Northern Michigan's Past. I'm your host, Christopher Struble. As we wind down this season of Tales of Northern Michigan's Past, our third season already, I, I can't believe it, uh, we wanted to do an update on the Club Ponytail property on Pleasant View Road, which we have featured on previous episodes of our podcast. The Club Ponytail was a famous slash infamous live music venue located between Harvest Springs and Petoskey in the 1960s. People are absolutely fascinated with the history of the property surrounding the old Club Ponytail. And since being listed about three or four weeks ago by Grand Realty after the passing of the former owner of the property, my dear friend Judy Landis, the internet has blown up with people sharing fond memories of their experiences while attending concerts by world-class musicians like Van Morrison, Eric Burden and the Animals, Roy Orbison, the Beach Boys, even The Who, during the glory years at the former teen venue. Some of the recollections being shared also include tales about what patrons claim to remember seeing and what may still lie underneath the placid-looking wooden five-bedroom home and surrounding property at the site. You see, the Club Ponytail was constructed on the grounds of an old, elaborate, luxurious gambling and drinking establishment named the Club Manitou, which is rumored to have been built by the Purple Gang out of Detroit during Prohibition and continued to operate illegally for decades before finally being raided and permanently closed in the 1950s. Many former guests and musicians that performed at the Club Ponytail remember a vast tunnel system that is alleged to have connected nearby buildings and provide escape routes in the case the venue was raided during the days when the venue served as a speakeasy. The existence, number, and expanse of the tunnels is a topic that has long been debated. There are many credible claims that the tunnels went to adjacent cottages within the compound and all the way under 119 to the airport, even as far as the old Hotel Ramon in Harbor Springs. Although that would be a difficult engineering feat, last year, Lake Superior State University surveyed portions of the property using cutting-edge, ground-penetrating sonar technology, and they have just recently shared the results of their investigation, which we will be discussing today. In addition to the data they have compiled, over the last few weeks we have had the unprecedented opportunity to explore the property, including the subterranean rooms beneath the old establishment. And I can safely say I am able to confirm the existence of several tunnels on the property, along with other intriguing finds. Joining us today to talk about what he has uncovered quite literally at the historic Pleasant View property and to discuss his efforts documenting the two distinct eras of the property's intriguing history is Taylor DeWicke, an independent filmmaker from Harbor Springs. Welcome, Taylor. Thanks Thank for you, Chris. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Crazy time of the year. I know you've got a big project you're working on right at the moment. I'm happy to be here. Um, I think it's, you know, really it's important because of the, the timing of this project. That's something Nate, yeah, your partner, we'll get to him in just a second here, but Nate talks about uh, before this opportunity is lost. It's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime, as I mentioned in the, in the intro. I've known about the property for years, and this is the first chance we've had to kind of co go in and out and investigate the things we wanted to. Mm -hmm. What first fascinated you about the ponytail? And, I mean, growing up in Harbor Springs, you must have heard something about it prior to this new kind of awareness that everybody has because of the sale of the property. I think uh, my story is similar to a lot of people's stories, which is growing up, you've just heard rumors and whispers of tunnels and gangsters and, and whatnot. But my first real exposure to it was my friend's father, Ward Wallstrom, was telling me about all these great memories of dancing at the ponytail. I didn't know Ward was involved, too. I love, yeah. love Ward. So Ward was actually the one to blame here of my <laughs> kind of interest in this story. So when I moved here, I moved here when I was 10. And so I kind of missed those first 
10 years of my life of I didn't get the Michigan history in class because I wasn't here for class at that point. So my first intro to Michigan history was hearing about the ponytail from Ward. And I was, for lack of a better term, jealous because we had nothing like the ponytail growing up. And it was truly this moment of time in the 60s where these kids were awfully lucky to hear these amazing bands like the Animals, the Beach Boys, the Four Tops. And it just, to me, it always seemed like a myth almost. Like part of that is you drive down Pleasant View, you don't see any sort of dance hall or building. And then you start learning the history and the story of how it burnt down and, and whatnot. And then this story has always been on my mind to do, like a goal of mine to make a documentary about it. I named my, essentially if you're a, a student in college in film, once you graduate, you have to name you got to make a company name, and I chose Ponytail Productions. Did you really? Yeah, kind of an homage to the ponytail, but also kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek goal of mine to eventually tell that story. And this summer, it kind of fell in our lap. Owner passed away, and one of her kids walked right through the front door of Graham Real Estate and said, the ponytail is for sale. We'd like to sell it with you. And Nate called me up, and I was blown away that like we could go to the property and look. And so that's kind of where it all started. And it just popped off. From there, we've been taking people in and showing the property around and learning stuff. And Judy Landis, the late owner, her son, Mark Hawk, wrote a book about Manitou and the ponytail. And so as a documentarian, kind of the first thing you look for is some sort of nonfiction writing, whether it's a book or an article in a, in a newspaper. If that piques your interest, you go from there and you expand upon it and you reach out to the author and you start working on the story and seeing if it's worthy of a documentary. I already knew it was worthy of a documentary. I know it because I've talked to you and I've talked to Rick and I've talked to all these great people in town that are big stewards of our history and this is one of their favorite stories. So I knew it was my, my love and my responsibility to at least take a shot at it. So... We've been filming and we've been exploring and, you know, uncovering new story angles and hearing a lot of great firsthand accounts from people that were there. Yeah, the and they're coming town. out. All these people are coming into my story. You know, I have a story on time. We talk history with so many people. And so I've heard so many stories. I just heard one yesterday again, another another one, but um, that are pouring in. For me, it's funny because I moved up here as a historian. Uh, I'm the president of the Michigan Hemingway Society, and that's kind of my specialty. I'll debate Hemingway in Michigan with anybody that ever wants to get that nerdy with me, like a Trekkie or something. But, mm-hmm. um, but that was my fascination was was the Hemingway connection, and then the history of the area overwhelmed that. Even um, there's so much great history up here in this area, mm-hmm. and then it was it was really really early on. I mean, like like the first year I was here when us, these tales started coming out about Ponytail and the, and the Club Manitou, and uh, I will say if anybody hasn't listened to our, our previous episodes that we've had. We've had one on the Club Ponytail and the Club Manitou. They're both located on the same property, but you may want to go back and listen to those also and, and get, a, get a little bit of a background story, but we'll, we'll still give you a lot of information here. And then I was really kind of passionately pursuing it with, with a friend of mine, and we were doing some urban exploring. There's another house that, that was owned by Gerhardt, the, the head of the Purple Gang, who built that place in 29. And we were doing some urban exploring, and then all of a sudden, Rick Wiles does his presentation. That's how I met Rick. Mm. And now we've gone on to be, to be 
great friends and our nemesis at the same time. We like to, <laughs> like to kind of frenemies, frenemies <laughs> of the best kind. He crashed my wedding, so I guess that's where we're that's on a that good one. friend right there. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and Rick's Rick's great guy. We'll talk to him, talk about him too. You know more going into it, but property is just again it's one of the top things that people want to hear about up here. It's like one of the there's so much stuff on the internet, so many stories that are false and true, and or we don't know and. So it fascinated me too. Your project, now you're you're doing this project. You mentioned Nate uh, from Graham Real Estate, and Nate, uh, they have the listing. But you're you're friends with Nate, and and kind of mm-hmm. you guys have started a project pretty much formally, right? And mm-hmm. um, tell us a little bit about that. The name, we think I got yeah. an idea where the name came from, mm-hmm. and um, not to preemptively kind of tell you your your mission, but it seems to me that a couple things like you've mentioned, you're looking for stories to come forward, mm-hmm. and then also. On Nate's behalf too, they're they're looking for uh, hopefully just the right person. Mm-hmm. And you used the word steward, and that's 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 what Nate had mentioned too in our conversations. That they're looking for somebody that's really going to appreciate that property. Yeah. So in terms of like the film project itself, the documentary, I decided to name it Pony Tales um, because it kind of gives you the approach in the title. This is going to be a story told from the perspective of people that were there, and kind of developed out of that. My goal is to get as many voices of the community in the film as possible. And in terms of a documentary in general, I think that that's always been my approach and that's how I was taught. Rather than, they call it the voice of God, like a narrator telling you all the information humanly possible that you boiled down, it sounds an awful lot better coming from different sources and hearing the voice and hearing the emotion in people. Um, In terms of the property itself, yeah, there are two kind of approaches here. One is the Taylor approach. I'm, I, I don't have the money to buy this property, but I do have the resources to tell a great story. And I have the skill set to make a great documentary. And that's what I can do to offer to preserve the legacy of this, this, these chapters of Harbor Springs history. And, but there's the other approach, which is, you know, this property is for sale. And it's such a unique piece of property and such a valuable story and part of our history here. And there's only really two outcomes that could possibly happen. One is that someone buys it and develops a new house on it and, you know, destroys uh, the property. Well, destroys, excavates, gets rid of all these elements to the property that it's not a, his, it's not a piece story. of dirt. <laughs> there's, uh, there's a lot underneath the surface here. It's a prime piece of real estate with a lot of yeah. history buried underneath. And uh, the other option is someone buys it and saves it in some capacity. And I, I've been talking with friends, and you know, like the minimum viable product we've been saying is someone buys it and does nothing right away. Just buy it. Yeah. Pre- prevent it from being developed. You know, that's like the minimum goal right now. So we're looking for that person. The property itself is in a great location for. Like its view and it, and literally its location to the ski hills, to Harbor, and to Petoskey. But it would be a shame if it weren't preserved on some level. Yeah, it, it represents two such so very intriguing uh, chapters in our in our state's history. You know, mm-hmm. you have the Prohibition era, which I mean, people will always be be talking about about mm-hmm. that era in, in American history, and then you have that um, breakthrough, and, and it was really kind of. Uh, Preceded by uh, American Bandstand, the, the explosion. That's kind of one of the reasons they actually decided to, to build out there. They saw the successes, the success of American Bandstand, and and that kids were going to become major consumers of, mm-hmm. uh, of of a product called rock and roll. 
And so there were other clubs called the Club Waz in, in, in different areas around the, the United States. But then the, the ponytail jumped on, you know, really quickly. But what great eras of, of history that, that are up there. Mm-hmm. But it has a hell of a view, too. So I know, you, you know it's desirable, especially in this real estate market. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing about uh, uh, Nate also and, um, you know, um, Graham Real Estate. They've always had an, uh, an agenda that preserve history up here. His dad's such a great historian. Yeah, there's um, um, there's definitely that angle. Tom has, has such an affinity for the history here because he's lived it. I mean, he's been here his whole life. His father was here and his grandfather. And, you know, if you ever open the Harbor Light each each week, there's a postcard from Tom Graham in there, picture of Harbor Springs. Kind of a little side story growing up. Nate told me uh, growing up, Tom and his brother would have competitions at the end of each year to see who bought who got the most postcards of the area he's got the world's best and (laughs) uh tom won you know handsomely like each year i don't know some years he might not have won but if you go to turkeys you can see some of turk's postcards on the wall if you're lucky enough to be invited over to tom's house he has a whole library filled with binders and binders of postcards and I have not seen it yet, but like that's all people talk. Oh, we'll have to get you over there. It is, yeah. it is the best collection. His, Tom's house itself is like a museum. If you go in the attic of his house, he has saved all of the business signs in Harbor Springs as far back as I can remember. So it's like a museum up there. It's like each sign that has each business that has closed or got a new sign or whatever, he goes to them and asks them, and he collects them and sticks them in his attic. So. One day soon, hopefully, there's going to be a great exhibit at the Historical Society. Um, well, I, know, I think we'll have to open up a couple of different buildings because uh, locally here, Dave Russell from Dave's Boot Shop yeah. and Russell Shoes, he, if you ever get a chance to see his collections, he's the same way. Mm-hmm. If they're taking something down, it's going in this collection. It's going to be refurbished. Great? Who would have thunk that? You know, like yeah. I, when I was in Boston, there's a lot of development happening in certain parts of Boston, especially with Harvard buying up so much land. But... On the street outside my office, these like iconic businesses were getting torn down to make room for new lab space. And I went up to the owner and I'm like, what are you doing with your sign for your auto shop when you're done? And he goes, junk in it. What do you mean? And I'm like, I'll take it. And then he goes, let me think about that. Actually, I kind of <laughs> want it now that you mention it. And like, there are these, those are things I wouldn't have thought of until I met someone like Tom to think that is part of history. That little sign, albeit like the, little wooden sign, whatever, I mean, it's a piece of history. So I, I think that's true about this whole area, though, with uh, when I've met people like you and Rick and all these, like, we have two great historical societies right here, the little Traverse Bay and then the his Harbor. Like, there is an affinity for history up here that is a, it's appreciated. The nice thing, too, is there's some philanthropic uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, abilities. So that's, yeah. that's another nice thing about uh, Northern Michigan, this, this pocket of Northern Michigan too, is we do have some resources that not all the other areas in Northern Michigan For have sure. to Definitely. preserve. And in fact, the Clark Historical Library at Central Michigan University, they have a huge budget budget for preserving and acquiring things that are Americana mm-hmm. and that represent Americana, but are Michigan based. And they got, they got some really cool stuff. And of course we house all of our Hemingway stuff there. They say like, awesome. it's really cool. when people have that, have that uh, agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to the property. It's great that it did wind up with Graham, uh, for the fact that they do have that that historical yeah that's what I was gonna mention is I, I was told the last time this was sold to the Landises Tom sold it so and I I think that is true uh, just from the perspective of Tom and Nate like they do have an affinity for history 
the end of the day, they're he likes to say they're selling dirt. They're they, slinging they've dirt. They've got to sell. They've got to. Yeah, but um, when you're slinging dirt and you come across a property like this, boy, does it take on a whole different approach because it's not just a house. It's a truly two iconic chapters of Harbor history yeah. that needs to be preserved in some way. There's only been three owners. Mm-hmm. Because it was built in 1929. Yeah. A property with all those different crazy things that have gone on there. you think there would have been you know, a plethora of owners Nate did mention in one of our conversations, this is one of the most historically significant properties Graham feel that they've offered. And that's, that's saying a lot out in Harvest Springs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would agree just in general outside of, yeah, I can't think of another spot. Part, part of uh, my approach as a documentarian is it's all about the access you have to a story and it's all about timing too. So other stories I've done, we, I worked at a documentary production company. We had to constantly be making products selling and so you look at reun- or, uh, anniversaries or s- historically significant dates and and approach a project that way oh it's the 50th anniversary of so-and-so let's approach pbs and pitch a doc well this walked right through the front door of graham real estate they walked right in and said we want the ponytails for sale and wow that i have a good relationship with graham real estate because i grew up with those guys you know they're my best friends growing up they're like family to me and so once that happened, I got a call and I was giddy <laughs> and excited. And the property is, has a lot of work to be done on the Well, that's one thing on I was going to say. Um, <laughs> but it's beautiful, just the it, history. It is. The house is beautiful yeah. and warm. And Judy was a friend of mine, a, a, a dear friend, 92 years old. I'm 50. <clears throat> I'm 50. Um, <clears throat> uh, so there was a little bit of an age difference, but we had a really, a really close bond. And it, and it started over the house and, and we developed this trust and um, just a, you know, so it's a little bittersweet for me when I go over there, yeah. but when I am over there, when I was over there visiting her and I haven't been in the house since she passed. And when I was there in the, in the house, all I really felt was, was the warmth of Judy's presence over the years. Mm-hmm. And I, it was hard to imagine what we can only imagine what happened yeah. on that property. There's things that we'll never know that are way more nefarious than what we're going to document more than likely yeah. in this, in this lifetime secrets that 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 land's never going to give up but yeah and secrets we may never uncover but that that's kind of the beauty of this story is each owner and each person that has an emotional connection to the property has some ownership of the story and their own little secrets and they all have their own little secrets too and that's one thing i was going to say too is when we're when you're talking about the first step right now is hopefully you know acquiring it stop it from being developed yeah after visiting too man you know it was built in 1929 and there was not a whole lot of code as far as building an illegal infrastructure underneath of a house that was going to be sitting on top of it and Mm -hmm. to to camouflage the existence of an illegal gambling establishment. So, you know, that infrastructure surrounding it's going to have to be addressed too. And even the stages outside, I'm just, I want to go out there with my own hammer, like the the sheriff of Nottingham and start just building. uh, I'll go there with you. We just need permission. I'll I'll fix that stage with you. Just fix that stage to preserve that history. There's not much. I mean, you just need new wood on that stage. That's about it. Yeah. I mean, the steps are sketchy, but the stage itself has some good bones to it. And yeah, it's throw a concept iconic, out there again. You know? <laughs> I think it'd be great, knock on wood, to have like a fundraiser there at some point or screen the film there at some point. And they've had events. They had, we're, we're, they, we're not events there, but they had events about it. They like the, Recently, mm-hmm. there's been that. Uh, re, the, the In 2016 or 17. 16 yeah. or 17. Wouldn't it be cool to do something there, though? Oh, yeah, it would be. I'm, I'm Knock on wood. Let's see. Uh, this summer, I hopefully... The plan right now is to do some sort of fundraiser and play some sort of 
sequence from the film, whatever we got at that point. Hopefully a trailer. I'll have enough content to make a good trailer, but the idea is to do another reunion and do a party and get as many stories when people are there. What I've run into is I'll talk to someone, they'll have a great story, and I'll say, let me just come over to your house. I'll set up and I'll talk to you for an hour with a camera. Oh, no, no, no. There, I don't have a good enough story for that. And I'm like, and you, well, just, you told just told me, me it was story. a great story. You know, I had a cold call the other day from a woman named Carol, and she was telling me, I went to the opening the first night of the ponytail with my now husband. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like, can I come over and interview you? She goes, oh, no. <laughs> and I'm like, really? It's your story's great. She goes, I don't think I can remember anything outside of that. And well, I'm like, that's I, that, fair. That's enough. But that's. Yeah. I interviewed, uh, pre-interviewed a woman who wrote a great book about Drummond Island and her wealth of knowledge about Michigan history is just incredible, the whole state of Michigan. And we did about a two-hour phone call. And she's like, oh, I don't know if I would have enough. I'm like, no, literally, if we would have been recording, this would have been like mm -hmm. four episodes just with the stuff you've just told me. Yeah, so that's the an approach that we need to work on ourselves, like convincing. But that's the idea with the fundraiser or the reunion is getting everyone there and then just turning on a camera and asking. It know? would be cool to do the individual ones and then also do a group, a group. Yeah, I mean, the beauty of the individual interviews, you get an individual person's time and story, not distracted by anything going on around them. Plus, visually, it looks better for the editor <laughs> to have a well-lit interview mm -hmm. with good sound. Um, but also, in terms of a documentary, you got to take what you can get. You know, you got to run and gun, as we call it, turn on the camera and get coverage, get what you can get and worry about it later because this isn't a fiction narrative. You know, this is nonfiction. So you can't reshoot a scene or, or direct people too much. You know, you've got to work with what you have and hopefully something great comes out of it. And I know there will be because so many authors like Rick and yourself and Mark have already talked about this story and found this rich history I'm just adapting it to the, you know, I'm taking the story and trying to tell it visually on mm -hmm. the screen. When you think about the club, we've talked about, you know, it was an illegal speakeasy. There's these tunnels. We're going to go back to the original incarnation of the property mm -hmm. uh, when it was the club, Club Manitou. And all these people, and it's not just people from that era because that's, that's a long time ago. So we're getting stories from people that went there in the 60s and ventured off into those areas that they weren't supposed to. And that's where a lot of these 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 stories of the tunnels and how how far they go and, and everybody's got a different version, but a lot of them come back to the same kind of theme. Uh, you mentioned at one point too, everything spider webs out and it comes back almost like the tunnels themselves. A little bit of an analogy mm -hmm. uh, there, but you guys have been able to document. Uh, Nate said he's walked enough properties that when he starts seeing weird things on properties, he, and so you've been able to uncover things along with LSSU, the the survey that was done out there, the the evaluation of the property. We are corroborating a lot of that stuff that seems so far-fetched. It, it's not. It's there. Yeah, so one of the other interesting angles, our other producing partner, one of our best friends, Cam Offenhauser, his dad, Tim Offenhauser, owns the two other properties that the Douglases and Gerhardt would have owned. It's all part of that complex. Yeah, it was all part of this 10-acre complex. And you hear stories about tunnels connecting the buildings, and then you see them written in the paper. So you know, at least it was true enough to print. And then, I, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but since we're friends with that family too, we have access to the other properties and we've been sniffing around there. And when we find something, I'll let you know.
course, Chris. There's a lot of stories that you hear because this approach is asking people for their firsthand accounts. So you hear a lot of stories. Now you just have to go in and corroborate them and, and try to find some evidence of that. But as I said, each owner kind of has their secret. And each owner at a certain point has closed off part of the tunnels or hidden part of the complex in a certain way that uh, if you look at maps drawn of the basement, the Club Manitou, and then you're in the Club Manitou, there's some discrepancies and some secrets even there, and it makes it makes one wonder if the author, Mark Huck, drew that in a certain way or not. <laughs> well, see, I, and I have the original one that Judy gave me before Mark's version, mm-hmm. and this is Judy's, but it's still not the original layout. Yeah, like there's, there's, yeah. It's, it's great, and I'll, I'll get you a copy. i got to yeah, get you a copy. It shows things that aren't aren't there at this time, yeah. but uh, you can tell that there's, that, wait a minute, this is not, doesn't make any sense that this mm-hmm. would have ended here or ended there, and we're finding you know, those those extra. Well, even the other, last week, I was there with my friend, and we were just looking at the map and measuring, um, and there's just one point in the map where it's that the whole wall is flush on the back wall, you know, when you walk in. Mm-hmm. You're standing there, it's not. There's unaccounted for space in certain spots of the base of the Club Manitou. It doesn't quite make sense. It's either a tunnel behind the wall or something else. But even when you're down there, time and time again, you miss stuff. You miss little details. And that's what you said about taking people down with a fresh, a fresh eye, too. Mm-hmm. Um, could be a contractor. Could be a guy who's a mason. I mean, but, or just somebody who... Oh, we took a, a, a builder through just last week. And we've always heard this story from Tom Graham that in the Manitou, there's this drain... It looks like a drain, but it's really an opening for some sort of latch or a key. And so we've been looking at every drain on the floor possible, not finding anything. And then we took our, our friend who's a builder through, and he found the little drain. You know, it's in that one first tunnel room behind his behind his office, mm-hmm. you know, like the first room that's kind of short. Yep. Uh, in front of the door leading to the next tunnel, is a drain in the floor, and it looks like a re- it looks like the release that we were told about. And that's the story is that you put a key in there, turn it yeah, on. Yeah, so there's, there's so many of the different secret rooms, the rooms that adjoin and make no sense. Exactly. But they're, they're they were purposely built. There was yeah. Well, and what we learned too is these doors with those barriers, those latches to keep them closed. Yeah, I call them New York locks. It's a, it's a, like a steel eye rod bot- yeah. beam that locks in, and then it, it's very difficult to there's, reach. There's uh there's evidence of you know it hooked up to electricity so they could flip a switch and it will open and close just in those two parts of mm-hmm. the, the most important though, but it's something that i would not know or see because i am not a builder or contractor or a mechanically inclined person to pick up on that you know i see electricity and, and motors on the floor and i'm like I wonder what that's doing there not seeing that is all connected to the locks you know my main thing is i just don't touch anything because <laughs> there's, there's some water down there Oh, a yeah. lot of electrical electrical components laying around, so I'm just yeah. kind of it's all it's all benign at this moment. But I know I'm still funny. People like the other day when we were down there last time, somebody just reached up and grabbed the cable. I'm like, we no one told you that that was technically off. I, <laughs> someone pointed out when we were down there, like this is dangerous. I'm like, well, no, there's not that much earth above us actually. And they're like, no, there's water dripping through that light. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, I didn't <laughs> think about that. Would it be safe to say the number one story about the place is you know, is, is the tunnels and and. Mm-hmm. and Definitely. The discrepancy is, you know, how far did they reach everything? What do you think about the tunnel in the front yard? Do you think that there was a tunnel in the front yard that went down, crossed 119 mm-hmm. to the airport? Yes. Yeah. 
LSSU came through and scanned that tunnel. That's Lake Superior State University. Yes. So that tunnel, I think, was known to the Landises, of course. I mean, that's the tunnel the teenagers snuck in through yep. when they were loitering in their home. And that's the tunnel that they blocked off to their property, and rightfully so, good for them, because I wouldn't want strangers coming in my house. And people were coming in. Yeah. And things and were disappearing from the basement. The irony of this story is uh, they were coming in through the opening right before the road. So that tunnel leads out of the building. The Club Manitou is the basement of this property. And it leads straight out to an opening right before M119. And then to the left of that is another tunnel that goes under the road to towards the airport. And that was the entrance that all these teenagers would loiter through. And my favorite story recently was Nate was showing the property, you know, a few months ago. And he walks over there and there's a gentleman down there snooping around in the hole of the tunnel. And they continue on their thing. He's like waves at him. He, the person doesn't say anything. And then I have Chris, yourself. I have Chris and Rick over. And Rick goes, I was here last week. I was... He was, around, he was the one snooping around down by that entrance to the tunnel. And I was like, oh, interesting, Rick. I think we saw you. And Rick <laughs> Rick has been steadfast because Judy was steadfast that other than the tunnel from the ponytail, where, where the old ponytail was, the food service tunnel, other than that tunnel that goes to the Manitou that's still there, there's a good section, maybe mm-hmm. what, 50 feet or something yeah. like that before it collapsed and where the fire was at the old ponytail. Other than that tunnel, he he was he's always been very, very... I wonder why he was so... I think Judy was, and then oh. based on the evidence that she was showing him maps, and then the actually being down there, and then she got a little vocal one time at a, at a presentation when somebody mentioned tunnels, and it's mm-hmm. one of the people we were talking about just just earlier. But mm-hmm. but so Rick was always steadfast about that. Now he has gone back and corrected his articles, which you can read at Greenwood Cemetery online great, there, great and stuff. Yeah. and that's 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 Rick. You know he, he puts everything there after it goes public, you know, um, and printed, but becomes public domain there. But he has gone back and revised that, but. When, we, when, we, when I showed him that picture of me down in the section you guys showed me, all he said was, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I've, not, I've got to go back. But he's the greatest historian, and that's, that's you know. Yeah, and, and that's, that, that highlights this thing about, I was talking about access, right? Access to the story. The access to the story for the longest time was through Judy. And I think I would agree with her to tell people there are no tunnels. I mean, historically, that didn't work out well for them when people yep. knew there were tunnels coming into their house. And she got phone call after phone call after phone call. I can too. only imagine. But yeah, that was that was great. My other favorite part of that story, too, is you guys were there at the club with me, and Nate was taking us around, and he goes, you know, this property is getting awfully popular. Just last week I was here, and there was a guy snooping around down by the tunnels, and Rick doesn't say anything. And I go, Rick, <laughs> I think that was you, was it not? And he goes, yeah, that was me. That was me. Yeah, <laughs> you it, told me you'd been out there. Yeah, and it just, it speaks to the, like, the allure of the place, right? It's not just teenagers wanting to see the tunnels. It's kids of all ages. Because at the end of the day, it's like, the reference I hear often is it's like the Goonies trying to, like, figure out it this, is. like, treasure map sort of thing. What really interests me and brought me into the story was, the human element of just hearing from Ward, like my whole childhood, like these great, great memories of being at the tail, you know? And and the more I hear those stories, the more excited I get because the tunnels and the gangster aspect of it is wonderful and wonderfully intriguing. There's people still out there now that have stories that need to be preserved. And what better way than to hear their voice and see their expression and have it in a film? And that is, a film is such a powerful medium. Mm-hmm. We're sitting here, just our voices and stuff like that. And oh, hearing... I love voice. I love audio, too. I'm an audio Audio's, guy. Yeah, me, yeah. too. 
but I did so many presentations during uh, COVID, man. It's like I like to see a facial expression when I'm telling a joke. Once mm-hmm. in a while. Yeah. And have some kind of a barometer. Well, Taylor, I appreciate you joining us here today. And this is our last episode of the season. It's our third season. I can't believe we're there already. Congrats. Hey, yeah, appreciate it. But since this is such a transitional, potentially definitive time for the historic property, you want to continue on with a with a bonus episode? We'll, we'll clock yeah, out I ha- here. Yeah, I have some more to add, yeah. I got like 30 pages of yeah, history. Yeah, I could talk. <laughs> we could do all season. Let's do it. Let's uh, We'll end this episode, and mm-hmm. then we'll, uh, we'll throw a bonus one out there for the holidays. And... Great. All right, we're going to end this segment and do a bonus episode, if you will, to end out what has been a great year here at Tales of Northern Michigan's Past. Please join us next time as we continue our conversation with Taylor DeWicke about the unassuming Harbor Springs property at Pleasant View Road that holds a special place in the two riveting chapters of Northern Michigan's divergent history. I'm your host, Christopher Struble, and you have been listening to Tales of Northern Michigan's Past.